The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hello and welcome to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, which you can download for free on the BBC Essex website. That's bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. I'm Ken Crowther and coming up on the podcast this week, Jeff Hodge is my special guest. As well as answering your gardening questions on all things from cracks in the lawns, watering and runner beans, we'll also bring you some top tips on things you can be getting on with in the garden. Plus, Plant of the Week feature, all exclusive to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Let's start then with this week's Plant of the Week, and it's Sambucus nigra black lace. Yeah, and you'll say to yourself, Sambucus, what's that? Well, it's elder. And yes, it grows everywhere. It's a bit like a weed. And, well, some people would say it's a lovely plant because they make elderflower wine and they make elderberry wine. Well, this is a relation of it. Black lace, I always think, is poor man's acer because it has this purplish-black foliage and it has flat umbrellas of flowers which are pinkish-white, a very attractive a shrub indeed can grow up to about three meters high but you can be quite ruthless with your pruning so you could hold it at pretty well any size you like it's very tolerant as i said it will put up with pretty well any uh soils that you like but honestly a uh, bit of moisture around it will give it a lot of help all it does is produce a blackberry in autumn but i tell you what you can use it as a hedge you can use it at the back of a border in fact, it's a pretty good shrub. Not that expensive and well worth adding to your shrubbery if you've got the chance. So that's Sambucus nigra, black lace. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. Still to come on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, Jeff and I will bring you some top tips on things we can be doing in the garden this week. But let's now hear what you've called us about. And we start with Teresa in Brightlingsea. Well, what it is, I bought this bay tree. It's about three foot tall and it's quite straight. But when I bought it, I put it in with some bone meal, what it told me to. But now, of course, I think the sun's ruined it. It's crispy now. Crispy, like a piece yeah. of toast, is it? Yeah. Now, I where, want, have I'd you like planted? Revive it, but I don't know what to give it. Right. Have you planted it in the ground? Yeah. Or it's it's in the ground. When did yeah, you When did you buy it and when did you plant it? That's the important thing. About two two or three months ago. So, Jeff, it's going to be struggling, isn't it? Well, it yeah, quite, quite quite likely, and and it's all down to you know, even though that bay trees once established, like yeah. all other plants, once established, are fairly drought tolerant. All right. young plants are very reliant on getting their roots down into the soil, which is right. how they become drought tolerant. And oh, you have right. to do that by ensuring that you water them in thoroughly, and you water yeah. them in thoroughly for the following be, yeah. six I've months been or so. Watering it quite a lot. Because then I thought, have I overwatered it? You know, highly unlikely if all the leaves oh. have gone have gone crispy. Yeah. The, yeah. the the issue is with with plants that are growing in. You know, when you buy them in a container, yeah, the, and most composts that are used these days are, are sort of peat or peat alternatives. Yeah. They they can dry out very quickly, and if you don't water the plant before you plant it and the root ball dries out it can be almost impossible to re-wet it when you think that you are watering it normally so what i would recommend is that you get um, have you got a hose pipe teresa no but i can water it i've got okay because what you need is what you need is something that will give it a slow trickle a watering can is a watering can isn't going to be the thing what you should do if you if you if you had a hose pipe, what I would recommend is that you lay the hose pipe on the soil by the oh, trunk, and you right. literally have the tap on a trickle, so that yeah. so that it is dripping water for about at least six or seven hours right. onto the root ball. Right. If you haven't got a hose pipe, then you're going to have to get yourself something like a big plastic container yeah. and make a hole in it so that yeah. it w- so that it will drip water. Yeah. It's no, there's well no done. point. There's no point gushing gallons of water on in one Doesn't go. Doesn't help at all. It no. won't get in, it won't get into the roots in the root ball. Slow no. trickle. Okay. But I can't feed it with anything. 
Well, there's no point. It won't help. Won't help at all. It won't. In oh, fact, okay. in fact, in fact, it's more unlikely to do more damage if you overfeed it right. with, with, in the state that it's in at the moment. Yeah. Okay. okay. Thank um, you very much for your help. No worries, uh, Teresa. Thank you, thank you, Teresa. Best of luck with that. And I'd like to mention while we're while we're look, talking about bay trees, uh, Martin Hammond sent an email uh, through to us here. Okay. And uh, he's sent us a picture of a leaf with a nice bug on it, isn't he? Uh, well, it's a. Uh, it, you can't actually see the bug uh, initially. <laughs> you can see his thumb. <laughs> No, well, sorry, I, sorry, Martin. I, I wasn't no being rude at Martin. No. What I meant was that yeah. the leaves start to crinkle and pucker and curl, and curl over, <clears throat> which hide the insect that is inside that curled over part of the leaf. And this is the bay sucker. So it's called, a nasty little it, devil, isn't it? Lighter, yes. A bit like, uh, uh, well, any of the suckers that are out there. You know, there's a fuchsia sucker that that, that uh, will attack fuchsia plants. But the, yeah, it just makes the whole plant look very unattractive. And if it's a severe attack, it will weaken the plant. Um, when you open it up, and it's, he's saying it's got all these greyish bits in there. Yeah. What are the greyish bits in? You really want me to say the word? They're excreta, oh, aren't they? Yes. It's, 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 <laughs> I it's said it, droppings. you Droppings. It's, it's droppings, yes. Lovely. Having, from, from eating the bay or now, su- sucking on the bay. Now, the trouble is with bay is it's an edible plant. Yep. Do we have to treat it differently from an, any other shrub? Well, it, the, the problem is, okay, so if you, if you try to use an insecticide, the vast majority of insecticides are contact, which means that you have to actually hit the basic bay sucker to kill it which you can't do because it's protected in the leaf. Um, Some other insecticides that would be better don't have approval for use on edible plants. So like um, Bug Clear Ultra does not not have approval. But you could try using Privado Ultimate Bug Killer or the Ultimate Fruit and Vegetable Bug Killer, which could have some degree of effect. Or if you don't eat it... And it's not an edible. Then you yeah, could use. You could use anything oh. you like. Or what a lot of people do is is uh, to stop the the infection getting out of control is that they pick off affected leaves and destroy them. They are. Sorry, we haven't got any more useful information that's for you, Martin. Useful, but boy, that's very no, useful. No, I know, but he's not going to get rid of it easily. That's what I meant. Well, it all depends. <laughs> if he goes, if he goes out and picks off all the affected leaves, he'll get rid of it within within. Well, it depends on the size of the plant. It does. Minutes. It's quite big, I think. Is, uh, yes, it is uh, 11 foot tall, so he's got his work cut out. He needs some steps. Yeah. 0800 111 That's 0800 111 That's the number to call. Have you got a problem with your... We've got... I know Francis and Brian have got trouble with their apple tree. They've sent us an email, and I've had a nice look at the picture there, and we'll uh, discuss that. And we had also an unknown plant that was growing out of a hanging basket just a, a moment ago as well on an email with pictures. So it's nice to get the pictures. And if we don't get to answer all your emails i do try and get through them during the week i know i haven't answered all last week's but i will get there eventually you've been outside sunning yourself uh, then. no instead outside of, working work, myself oh, okay. <laughs> now even harlow what have you got on your lawn cracks <laughs> cracks well yeah, i've got quite a lot of um quite wide cracks in them yep um my point is, do I fill them in or do I just wait for the rain to come and does that fill them in? It's good old Essex clay, I reckon, Jeff, don't you? Absolutely. Are they big enough for you? Concrete, actually. Are they big enough that you'd fall into? Not quite. So, so, so there's no there's no danger to human life? <laughs> not as far as I not, hope not. Not yet, OK. No. Uh uh, lawns this year are, are going to be a problem, I think, for, for just about everybody. Um, personally, um, if I could be bothered, I think I would try and fill them in either with, uh, well, probably try and use some good topsoil or some John Innes. Uh, Number three. Well, any, any, <clears throat> Anything. Of the, any of the John Innes, to be perfectly honest. Um, obviously, when it, <laughs> if and when it starts raining again, but this is probably not going to be till the autumn, those cracks will fill in. But if it, if it's unsightly and you don't like the look of it and you want to try and rescue your lawn to some extent, uh, personally, I would try filling them in. Well, right. I'm very much an amateur. and um, Aren't we all, I, I was a bit worried about, you know, in case they uh, probably won't, but... They turned into a sinkhole or something like that. That's no, I'm, I'm no. sure. I'm sure. I'm sure that won't happen unless you unless you've got a sort of a you know a gold mine under your garden and then it opens <laughs> out into the gold mine. No, no, I can't imagine a gold mine in Harlow though. Can you, Eve? 
Well, no, maybe di- really. diamonds then, or an opal mine. <laughs> <laughs> no, just, just yes. If you've got the time and the energy, and you can afford it, a good loam from you could buy it. You can buy it. She sterilised loam, can't you? Sterilized from a garden centre. Yeah, you can buy really good topsoil or, yep. or a John in something like that. Give it a go, Eve, and you will be filling in those holes, which I'm sure. A lot of people will have this summer. Certainly Most on, people certainly have. Certainly on clay soils, yeah. yeah. Pauline in Langdon. Hello, Pauline. Hello, Ken. Hello, Jeff. Morning. Um, right. Now, the problem that I've got, recently um, I ordered a Campsis Indian Summer um, from a very well-known mail-order company, which I use all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, when it arrived, it was in perfect condition. It was very healthy, beautiful. Um, I'm very upset because it is dying, I think. Now, obviously, the weather is crazy. Um, I've planted it in a side uh, border in the back garden. It's in full sun all the time um, against a a fence panelling. Yeah. And I water every day. I spray it. It was doing fine, but now all of a sudden it's wilted and the flowers are dropping off. So I just don't know if it is the weather that's done it or what, if I'm doing something wrong. I have noticed that the there's been quite a few ants running up and down it, but I didn't think that ants did any damage unless they did something underground and disturbed the roots. OK, well, let's just get the ants out of the way for to, to start off with. Ants crawling up and down plants usually means that um, you've got some sort of insect pest on there. Like an aphid or something like could, that, Could Jeff. be aphid, could be scale insects. Mm. One of the sap suckers because they oh. farm them to, for their sugary excreta. However, the yeah. ants and, and the pest aren't causing the wilting. And I, no. I don't know if you heard the beginning of the programme when we talked to, to Teresa about her bay tree, but I think you've got the same problem. Right. Whenever I plant anything in my garden, and I, you'll probably tell me you did this, but whenever I plant any containerized plant in my garden, before planting it, I shove it in a bucket of water for mm. 20 to 25 minutes um, before planting to ensure that the root ball is completely sodden and the roots are fully charged with water. With the modern compost that we, we use or the nurseries use, mm. they they... They, once they've started to dry out, they are very difficult to re-wet. They shed water uh-huh. rather than absorb it. And whenever you water, the water literally goes around the outside of the root ball and never into the middle. And then, of course, uh-huh. with all this hot weather that we've got, everything is drying out very, very quickly. That root ball that was dry is now incredibly dry. And you, you're saying that you're watering regularly, and I, and I, know, I, uh, I don't doubt that you, you aren't doing it regularly, but all the water is going around the outside of the root ball and not into the roots. So, again, oh, get, your ho- get your hose pipe, lay it at the, the base of the plant, and, and maybe for three or four, five hours, literally, while the football's on, after the football finishes, <laughs> you, you can come out and turn the tap off. But don't have it on full force. You literally want to be trickling a dribble of water onto that root ball at the base of the trunk for several hours. Okay. Uh, All right. Okay. I'll give it a go. Thank you Uh, very much for your help. Pauline, come back to us and let us know how you get on and how the plant gets on, because that's really important to us. We're going to be answering Avril in Brightlingsea and Kay in Harlow in just a moment. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Back to your gardening questions in a moment, but right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, we've got some top tips on things you could be getting on within the garden this week. Jeff, what? Well, it's hot, isn't it? Yeah perhaps, yeah, perhaps relaxing and having a good time in your garden is possibly the only thing that you can be doing. But we should talk about the elephant in the room. And maybe an elephant would actually be a very useful gardening piece of equipment at this time of year. Only if you've got a big puddle. Yes, or, or, or a water butt. <laughs> Because the elephant in the room is watering our gardens. Now, should we or shouldn't we? Because we've only got, I think it's, is it only Northern Ireland at the moment has, has a host Has a host bike ban. And uh, yes, we ought to make sure that people are using their water sensibly. Um, but uh, you, you're probably the same, but I'm getting loads of emails from people that have had established trees, established mm. shrubs that are beginning to drop all their leaves and they're not flowering and they're wilting. And, you know, normally <laughs> this time of year we say, yeah, water the new stuff, but established things won't need watering. But they are. But some things are. So what I recommend is that people go 
look around their garden. If everything is looking fine, then it probably doesn't need watering. It's got its roots down into some good soil and it doesn't need any additional water. But if you're noticing the first signs of even, you know, well-established trees and shrubs starting to wilt, so the leaves are beginning to droop, it's a sign that that plant is going to need some water. So when you water, don't go, you know, don't go out every night and throw a little bit of water around. Does it at all? Well, it makes the situation worse because it brings the roots upwards and you want the roots to go down. So a, a thorough soaking. And by that, what I usually do is I actually put the hose pipe right on the sort of uh, by the trunk or by the, the main sort of root ball of the plant. And, and at a, a trickle. slow yeah, trickle, trickle, but leave it on for a long time because you do want that water to get I well mean, into the roots and down into the It's got to be at soil. least a couple of hours or so on a tree. Yeah, I, normally a minimum of an hour. Yeah. Um, obviously, anything that you planted recently, and by recently, I mean within Spring. probably the, well, yeah. the last year, mm. again, that's probably going to need watering. Um, obviously, all your bedding plants are... And again, even with those, you know, again, don't go out every night and throw little bits around. No, give it a good Give dose. it a good soaking. And of course, your fruit, if you know, if the fruit trees don't get enough water, they're going to start shedding fruit. Your veg is going to not grow properly. It's a problem. It is a problem. And and the other question is, of course, when do I water? Should I water in the morning or should I water in the What's evening? What's your preference? Evening? Okay, well, uh, it all depends. Obviously, you don't want to do it in the heat of the day because most of the water will evaporate and will be wasted. So you could do it in the evening. But if you, you know, you're the sort of gardener that splashes water all over the place and it gets on the leaves and it remains on the leaves overnight, there is a chance that that will encourage fungal diseases. It will, yeah. So if you're that sort of gardener, I would recommend very early in the morning, you know, set your alarm clock an hour early before you get go up, to work. Get up and, and go get and up do a and bit do it. of walking. If you're the sort of garden gardener that does it properly and puts the water where it's needed, i.e. at the roots on the soil, and you're not splashing it over the foliage, then I would suggest you do it in the evening. And, of course, the last thing you need to say, of course, is the plants in containers. They are the plants that are going to need... You know, Lots of water. ...on a daily or maybe every other day basis. Again... Use the, um, the, 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 water, the water indicator you were born with and shove Push that in the in. compost. And if it feels moist, probably doesn't need watering. If it feels dry, probably does. Now, following on from that, you talked about containers particularly. I mean, we have to look at feeding as well, don't we? And how's the best way? I mean, is it all liquids at this time well, of year with this weather? You know, I, what I normally do is in spring, I give a controlled release fertiliser, which in theory should f- uh, give your plants enough food yep. for six months. And then I will top up with liquid feeds. And then, of course, there are those people that are going to use grow more throughout the summer or, or even an organic fertilizer but plants don't eat their food you know that when you put grow more on the soil the roots don't go oh look grow more and it start needs, munching needs water, it. Doesn't it it has to be in a liquid form so the best way and the quickest way and certainly in this weather that we're having at the moment probably the only way to feed your plants is to use a liquid fertilizer because it's in liquid as you apply it which means that then it can be used straight away by the plants Thank you, Jeff, and we'll have more top tips for the next seven days later on in the podcast. Kane Crowther. This is BBC Essex. And we go straight to Brighton Z to talk to Avril. Avril, what are we talking about with yourself? Good morning, Ken and Jeff. Um, just a quick question. Um, I've got a blackberry uh, bush and it's fruiting for the first time. It, it, I've only had it two years. Lovely lot of fruit on it, but it's got this big, long spur coming from it with no flower or anything on it. It's a bit like a rose sucker. I didn't know whether to cut it off or leave it. <laughs> That's its new growth, isn't it, Jeff? Well, well Coming yeah. gro- growth, for, growth for next year. How, how, black, oh. how blackberries work is that they produce their canes or their stems one year and they fruit the following year. While those ones that are fruiting are fruiting, the plant then produces the new canes that are going to fruit the following year. Ah. Uh, so basically oh, well, what I'm you... so glad I, I rang you because yes. I was going to cut it off. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. You've so got you... to tie it in, haven't you, Jeff, and get it trained? Yeah, so basically what okay. you, when you normally uh, train blackberries, what you try and do is that you train one year's stems to one side of the plant because those are the ones that are going to fruit and you want all the fruit together and all the new ones you train to the other side of the plant because once the right. ones that are fruited have fruited, you cut those down to ground level. 
Oh, really? And take them out. And then the ones that are, fo- are following now, you keep for next year. And it's a lot easier if you train the two lots of stems in two different directions. It makes your pruning and your care for your plant and your picking a lot easier. OK, Well, Avril. that's very helpful. Thank you so much. No problem. And, that's and, a pleasure. And, and happy blackberry crumble. Yes, ooh, blackberry crumble and custard. Mm. Kay in Harlow, what have we got for you today? Is it lilies we're talking about, Kay? Yes, it is. Yes. Good morning, gents. Um, I've purchased a number of lily uh, bulbs over the last two or three years, and they've survived the winter, and at the moment they're absolutely gorgeous, all sorts of lilies. Um, Do I treat them like a tulip and just cut the top bit off when the flower dies, or do I chop them right to the bulb? No, do, do not chop them right down. And, well, not unless you don't want any flowers next year. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Basically, once, once they have finished flowering, they will produce seed pods at the, at the back of the flower or back of where the flower was. You, you pull those That's... off simply, yes. simply because you don't want the plant wasting its energy on producing seeds because you don't yes. want the seeds. And yes. then you keep the plant growing for as long as possible. So you water it whenever needed. You feed it on a regular basis because the, the longer it keeps its leaves and, and obviously its stems... The longer it grows, the more energy it gets, the bigger and the fatter the bulb will get and the better the display the following year. So keep really? it growing. Do not cut it down. And so when do you cut it down, Jeff? When, when it's, it's dead. gone yellow and dead. When it's dead. It goes yellow to brown, cut it off. When it's brown, cut it off. It's dead. OK, Kate. Thank you very much. Thank no that's problem. a pleasure. That's Kate in Harlow. And we now go to Eastward. Hello, Vera. Hello. Good morning there. Um... Can I ask about my Alstroemeria? You can indeed. Uh, which I have had um, two years now in a pot. I put them in the greenhouse over winter, but I've still got no flowers. I had no flowers last year and no flowers this year. It's quite big now, but it just hasn't flowered. Uh, how, how, old have you, uh, how long have you had it, Vera? Um, well, this is the second summer. Second so summer? Two years, uh, I suppose, yes. And- did you buy it as a as a small living plant or, or no no just the sort of roots. the roots yeah and how big a pot did you put it into uh, I think it's about seven seven or eight inches it's quite big actually so you know there's loads of leaves so it is now filling the pot I would think it probably is also the tops of the um, plants have gone a bit yellowy you know like if you water when the sun's on it which i don't think i have but that's how they've gone the tops of the leaves and how often are you feeding it now and again there we go go. and what are you you feeding it with um miracle grow okay i would i would basically it's you need to have them fairly pot bound for them to flower well so it sounds like yours is now because right. it's because it's because it's filling the pot. And that's Quite why it hasn't cool, flowered in the you know, and floppy. But... No, 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 no. But what what it's been doing is creating a plant the size, the sizing up the plant, making itself growth. Now it's filled the pot. Now it'll start to work for you, won't you, Jeff? Yes, uh, but you have right. to give. But it's got no food now because it's it, the oh. pot. The pot is full of roots, yes. which is what you want. Yeah. But there's no food in there, so you have to. Not be not be cruel to. How would you like it if I stuck you out in the garden for six months and didn't give you any dinner? Right. So and regular, once a fortnight. Well, once a week, once every ten oh, days. Really? What food, Lic- Jeff? Liquid feed, high potash, tomato fertilizer, and that will work, won't it? It will. And indeed. then you bring us back and tell us how successful it is, Vera. And send us some some pictures of yeah. all those flowers. Oh, gorgeous, Georgina in Benfleet. Uh, you're talking about lemon trees, is that right? I am. Yeah. Um, what it is, Ken, I bought a lemon tree a couple mm-hmm. of years ago and it yeah. was really healthy. Um, I had no problem with it. It stayed in my conservatory. And then this year, earlier in the year, it wasn't this hot, I wasn't very cold. I just put it outside and when I bought it back, all the leaves started dropping off. But listening to the um, person just before I came on uh, about her not feeding it, um, I have never fed mine. I've just watered it. Oh. It's the same old thing. More cruelty. Cruelty to I'm plants. Gonna, I'm going to send the RSPC whatever it is for plants around to your house. But, Jeff, also, lemon, le- lemon trees do not like being keep moving around, do they? No. Changing and, their oh position. No. They hate it. It's they, almost they, it's, it's saying... 
take me back out in the garden, you know. Well, well, yes, it, it is. is. It wants to be outside in the summer. You bring it out into the conservatory in late autumn so it doesn't get frosted. And, and then it will drop its leaves a bit because it doesn't like the change of temperature. And then you put it outside for the summer because it's a Mediterranean plant. It, li- it likes hot, sunny conditions, but it needs food. See, I'm not really a gardener. You, <laughs> well, you don't have to be a gardener to feed. Come on. Do you eat every morning? <laughs> yeah, how, when was the last time you you had a, a good round meal? <laughs> Terrible. Cruelty. What would you get? No, right, lemon. Would you give it tomato food? Or I'd go for a citric, uh, citrus food. If, if, you wanna be, if you wanna give the best food for citrus plants, then you can buy a specific citrus fertilizer. In fact, you can buy two specific cit- citrus fertilizers. Right. One, that, one that you give it in spring and summer, and one that you give it in autumn and winter, because even in the winter, unlike a lot of other plants, citrus benefit from a little bit of feeding so you you go to a good garden center or, or an online store and you buy a citrus summer feed and you buy a citrus winter feed and you follow the instructions on the container okay. right and I, i'm so uh, well after listening to the one the lady before me i thought oh i think i know the answer <laughs> and, and georgina knows the answer look after it but take it outdoors and give it his summer holiday it deserves and we go to pearl in in great corner hello again. hello pearl we're talking pyracanthers aren't oh, we yes, hello ken and jeff hi yes, pearl I'm a bit worried about my pyracanther out the front it's got quite an old bush and it's out in full sun right up against the bungalow wall but i've noticed this last few days it's gone all sticky and it's making the wall sticky. So I just wonder what was what was happening to it. Okay, um, without seeing it, I can't be one hundred percent sure. But oh, I, that's not good enough. But Jeff. I will stake my <laughs> reputation, which is worth about ten pence, on the fact that that sticky substance is what we call honeydew. Oh, and, yes, I wondered if that might have been that. OK, and honeydew is the excreta. Sorry sorry for using words like that if you're about to have your dinner. Ex- the excreta from a sap-sucking insect. Oh. So basically what happens is that the insect puts its mouth parts into the plant, sucks the sap, extracts more or less all the nutrients it needs from it. But yes. as, sa- as sap is more or less 100% pure sugar, it excretes what it doesn't need as almost pure sugar. Yes. And then that makes everything shiny because it's got, you know, right, globules yes. of sugar. So all you need to do is find out what the pest is and control the pest and the honeydew will disappear. OK. All right. Well, thank you very much. Because I've got a lot of stones underneath where the root part is. And, and I thought to myself, the stones look so shiny. I've, I've, wet, but I've Pearl, put... I've, had the, I've had seven emails this week from people stuff. with sticky stones under their plants wondering what's going on. There's and... nothing worse than sticky stones under your plants, Absolutely. is there? And just I'm going to quickly mention this because, in fact, uh, Lorraine from Canvey Island has sent us a text on 81333, starting Essex, and she says she's got a tree in the garden. She doesn't really know what it is she's been there six years has catkins in the spring it's got oval leaves and suddenly uh, she's cut branches off it and it still grows bigger and bigger and bigger but her plants, biggest problem is do that. what is the, it's she's making everything sticky the same it's thing. Make, it's, it's the, the same, same thing. thing honeydew a colleague at work told me that the tree does that when it's stressed no, no, not necessarily. Not, no, it's insects, no. isn't it? Yeah. It's aphid or something similar. Yeah, now Pearl, uh, her insect may have been an aphid or possibly scale yeah. insect. Um, on the willow, which is what we think we that think plant that's is, a willow. I would say that that's more than likely going to be aphids. So check yeah. on the underside of the leaves, look for your aphids and then kill them however you like to kill them. But the, probably the easiest and the quickest is to spray them with an insecticide. OK. Now, Roger in Clacton, what are you up to? You're trying to eradicate something. What are you trying to get rid of? Well, about 10 plus years ago, I planted a uh, campsis <laughs> in um, a border which is about... 20 foot long by about 8 foot wide but only part of it because I had other shrubs in there and uh, which started to grow I made a nice framework for it to grow and that grew and grew and grew but after a while I think now it's taken over I've left to go so a couple of years ago I cut it down right down to the ground Um, I drilled the top etc and poured in loads of stump killer etc etc and I thought oh that will be it Um, about Year after that, I noticed all little uh, regrowths coming out from through me um, stones and what I'd put along. Yeah. 
And I thought, oh, what's happened here? And then they spread out a little further. Anyway, I dug down again, and the roots were still growing out. So I cut them off at the trunk. I thought, oh, well, that's it. Now, this year, they're growing out, and they must be under the ground, spread about 10 to 15 feet away. Okay. And they're up every art, everywhere. Do you think they're self-generating, or are they still growing from the main trunk well they probably started growing from the main trunk but uh, they may well have detached themselves now and are, and are growing on their own oh so, you ought to have a, you ought to have a word with pauline who bought a campsis this year and it's dying and she's really yeah <laughs> she's really desperate to, yeah, to re- well, get it to recover yeah, they're all right for about ten years, and then they get a bit big. Sort well, of they need but they need break, they need they need annual pruning campsis to to encourage them to grow where you want them to and to flower. Um, to be honest, uh, Roger, your your best bet is to keep spraying the growth with a glyphosate based weed killer. But it's right. not that. It doesn't work that well in very right. hot conditions, does it, Jeff? Really? No, I would do it in the evening. Yeah, so, so when so, the- when so it's cooler. Probably about 8 o'clock onwards, spray right. Whenever you're going to use any weed killer at this time of year, spray it in the evening. Otherwise, it'll just all evaporate. And yeah. and with the weed killer, don't expect, you know, one application to, to completely kill it. You know, you've got a massive, probably, or possibly got a massive root system. So you will need to do repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat applications as soon as you see lots of good new regrowth, possibly four to six inches uh, tall. And after a year, maybe two years, you should be able to get rid of it. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, myself and Jeff have got some more top tips for you. Now, Jeff, what's uh, what have we got now then, do you think? OK, well, um, herbaceous perennials. Yep. Uh, much loved at the moment, back in back in fashion. Lots of people, very fashionable. Lots of people are loving them. Things like you know, delphiniums and echinaceas, and especially hardy geraniums, all looking pretty good, even in this very very dry hot weather. A lot of them have, have finished. Gone over, haven't fi- they? Well, they finished flowering. Yeah, specifically, especially things like lupins that you know uh, flowered quite early in the summer. So if you've got things like lupins and delphiniums, things with a flower spike, then it's a good idea to cut that flower spike right off at ground level. You don't want the plant wasting energy on producing seeds, particularly if it's a plant that could give you another flush of flowers. Anything like your hardy geraniums, where they produce a sort of a mound of foliage and the flowers in amongst, then you can, and they and they do start to get a, um, looking a little bit tired. At they this do time look of very year. tired. You can start to brown on the red. Yeah, and Alcamilla mollis, for instance, yeah. ladies' mantle looks a little bit tired. So can you take all the, some yeah, of the get, leaf off or get, get the leaf yeah, off? Yeah, get your shears out and and literally hack off. Technical word that we use when we're talking about cutting plants back. Hack off all the old flowers, any tatty old foliage. Cut them back reasonably hard. Liquid feed them, which will then give them the energy they need to produce a second flush of good-looking foliage, particularly things like Alcamilla mollis. And with lots of geraniums and lots of other plants, they do have the ability to repeat flower, and you should get second, and if you do it again and again, third and even fourth flushes of flowers. It's impressive, isn't it? I know, you know, I know people now that you know, cut back their geraniums several times a year after they've finished flowering. And we are talking hardy geraniums, not yes, the pelagoniums. That's right. They're getting them to flower, you know, in October, November, even mm. into December. And the peters, I mean, I cut back the peters very yep. early on, but they're back in flower already, aren't they? And that gives you a lovely six hills giant, massive blue flowers. Gorgeous, isn't it? Brilliant. And, and again, you're going to get that lovely foliage coming back as opposed to that sort of tatty, tired-looking foliage. And I must add on to that. We're talking about getting rid of what's there. And so often people, you go around gardens and they've left the deadheads on roses. Well, not only it looks untidy, but it's not encouraging any new growth for new rose to come forth. And they can. They'll flower all the way into the autumn if you help them on their way. Well, certainly your hybrid teas, your floribundas, your David Austin New English roses, they have the ability to repeat flower. Obviously, with the old shrub roses, which again are coming back into popularity, a lot of them have very attractive hips oh, yeah, there's for, some the, ne- for the autumn. So I wouldn't be deadheading those. No, some of my neighbours have got some gorgeous hips on their on their shrub roses, looking absolutely fantastic. But deadheading... Now, I don't know how you do it, but I, I go down two leaf axles Ooh. down. How many do you go down there? None. Oh, I do. I know, you're going to tell me the Rose Society. The Royal National Rose Society say to to deadhead your roses, just use your thumb and forefinger and snap off the old developing seed pod. But you know what it does? It leaves you a dead piece at the top. 
If you look them, they look very untidy. Can do. And yes, if you then get any dieback cut back. But the thing is that the leaves are the powerhouse of the plant to give it the energy. And if you cut back the stems too much and take leaves off, and roses are quite sparse in the amount of leaves they produce, then it won't have enough energy to give you some good flowers. And if you want to give it more energy... Don't forget to give it a good, a, good f- a good feed. And you're best to give a liquid feed at this time of the year because it's so dry. Absolutely. But we always disagree, don't we? We like No, gardeners will always disagree, and they are, I cut back to two, you deadhead them because the Rose Society tells you, I still reckon I'm right, and I'm sure you think you're right. Well, I don't know if I'm right, but that's what I do, and it works for me. And if it works for you, stick with it. Don't listen to us. Stick with what you're used to and what works for you. Well, keep listening to the podcast as there's still more hints and tips to come. Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. You're listening to the Gardening Hour here on BBC Essex. I'm Ken Crowther. My guest today is Jeff Hodge. Uh, call us on 0800 111441. Uh, we have got oh, ne- nearly half an hour to go, and we're looking after Mark from Malden. And you've got a fig tree in your garden, is that right, Mark, or is it in a container? I have got... Uh, no, it's in the ground. Um, OK. It's growing like bilio, uh, but plenty of leaves but no figs. I was wondering why. How old is it, Mark? About three years. How, how did you plant it? How? Yeah. With a spade. Right, OK. So what, you just dug a hole and planted it? Yeah. Right, there's your problem. There's your problem. There's your problem. You you obviously weren't told, or you didn't ask us, or you didn't read about it. You have to restrict the root growth of figs if you want them to grow. So so basically you dig your planting hole and then you line it on all four sides with paving slabs. Or what I did with mine is I sunk a, a dustbin. Because if you allow the roots to just grow through the soil, that's what they'll do. Oh, right, okay. It's still it's worth... okay to dig it up and no, do that? No, don't do that now. In the autumn, dig... Fair... How big's the tree? It's about four foot high at the moment. Right, four foot high. Come out, what, what do you reckon, a couple of feet from the trunk? I would say uh, two foot either side. Two yeah. foot either side. Dig down and put some slabs down all the way around it. Use something like a 450 by 450 paving slab down into the ground, then you're only allowing the roots to go underneath, aren't you? Yep. And that would help. OK? Well, that's, that's excellent. Thanks very much. OK, don't do it till the autumn because you'll put the plant under so much stress it won't cope with it. Daphne and Thundersley, with Agapanthus, one of my favourite. Tell us more. Oh, good morning, Ken and Jeff. Um, I've had Agapanthus for a number of years, <clears> and the last few years it's in a pot... And the last few years, I've had 40-plus blooms on it. It's been You're a show-off, she aren't you? She yeah. <laughs> It's in a blue pot to match, but this year, I've only got three showing. OK. Well, she had 40 so before. What's yeah, she exactly. grumbling about? Yeah. yeah, come on. You can't have 40 every year, you know. That's just greedy. <laughs> oh, I know, but I do expect it now. <laughs> oh, OK. All right. Well, you know, you know what they say about people that expect things? <laughs> don't you think it's having a rest? Uh, no, I don't. Um, what do you think? It's weather conditions? Presumably you didn't do anything differently to it over the winter, Daphne. You no. you, you looked after it in the normal way? Wet Absolutely. Spring. I put fleece round around the base of it and, and I've looked after it, put it in the same place as I have every year. OK, I and would... I've, split, I've uh, fed it this year. Yeah. Good. OK, well, I would, uh, without seeing it, can't be 100% sure, but... Although we always say that you need to keep agapanthus um, root-bound for them yes. to flower well, yes. as with all plants, they do sometimes or eventually get, get too root-bound, right. at, yes. at, which, at which point they do need splitting. Right. So I think okay. yours yours is now due for a split. But again, don't put it in a huge pot. No, 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 no. Keep you know. Keep them restricted again. Yes. You know, if it's in say say it's in an eight-inch pot at the moment. Right. Then, you, then you could. I would only split it in half. I wouldn't take it into lots of tiny little chunks. I'd split it in in half, and yeah. I would put it back in. Or, or, sorry, the two pieces in separate eight-inch pots. Two separate eight-inch pots. Yeah. that's right. if it's in an eight-inch at the moment. Uh, you want to yeah. keep the roots as compact as possible, but you need to give it a little bit of extra room to grow into. And what compost would you use for that as well? Well, I with something that's permanent. Yep. In inverted commas, like, like agapanthus can be, I would always use a John Innes mixed 50-50 with a 
peat or a peat substitute-based compost. Diana's sent us a text on 81333 and she is saying, when's the best time to trim a red aether? It's the one with the feathery leaves. <laughs> um, Has to be winter. It's got to be winter. Has to be winter. But, but really, as little as possible. They're best left alone, yeah, aren't they? They, they, they? they don't like to be trimmed unless they've got some dead growth. Yeah. So obviously you take any dead growth off any plant that you, you have in your garden. So And if it's, if it's dead, you should be able to just take that off at any time of year but if you're going to try and do any major trimming, trimming or pruning winter has to be winter when it's dropped all its leaves uh joe in chadwell st mary we're, we're down in the veg plot a bit aren't we joe yes please guys i have two questions if i may yep i'm growing me runner beans as normal up sort of seven foot canes lovely and they're, they're lovely flowers and all the rest of it and they've reached their height and then the the tops of them keep climbing and climbing into the sky. Do I trim that off at seven foot six? Yeah, or... pinch as soon as they reach the top of their, their support, pinch the tips out. That will encourage uh, lots of side shoots, and the side shoots flower and fruit better than the main shoots themselves. So taking the top off will give strength to the bottom half. And more flowers. And more flowers. And more Lovely. fruit. Yeah. One other question, if I may. Yep. yep. Last year in the greenhouse, I, I grew... Tomatoes very close to me cucumbers. Yes. And a guy told me that, and then I lost all my cucumbers. And a guy told me that the presence of tomatoes in close proximity to cucumbers. What a load lot. of old rubbish. The only difference is that the, the conditions are slightly different, aren't they? Yeah. They prefer, that's the only difference. Your, your mate is, is confusing things, Joe, yeah. I would say. Generally speaking, generally speaking, if you're going to grow cucumbers and tomatoes in the same greenhouse, the cucumbers need it more humid. So you stick those at the uh, end, end away from the door and you put your tomatoes at the door end. You oh, can, I grow tomatoes and cucumbers in the same greenhouse year after year after year after year. No problem. Go and, don't, go and tell him that he's talking a load of rubbish. In close proximity, can they be? Yeah, well, yes, yeah absolutely, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I I've, I've lost my cucumbers. Well, that's something completely different, which we'll never know the answer to. Right. Can you tell us, where have you put your cucumbers in the greenhouse in comparison with your tomatoes? Are they nearest the door or in the middle? Well, they run along the back, so back end of it, to be honest with you. I put a framework well, for that's the, the that's cucumbers. That's fine. That's the best place for them. It might be just a bit too hot and not enough moisture around well, them. Was Tried... la well, it was last year. How, how were we yeah, doing so around? this year you want to keep dousing the, dousing the ground if you've got cucumbers to with water. bring the moisture so up. you get and the that, humidity. That will work. Humidity is what you are after. Uh, given the hot, dry conditions, could you spell out the fully the laws regarding use of hose pipes and sprinklers, Chris, in Braintree? At this moment, there are no hose bands in our area that we know of. Are there, Jeff? Uh, the only hose pipe ban I know of is in Ireland. I know that some of the water authorities uh, in the northwest are worried that their uh, people are using too much water and they can't keep up with the flow of water. They've got plenty of water in the system, but because people are using so much at all the time, they can't actually get the water in the pipes. However, we would say that the lawns will come back Therefore, we have to be careful how we use water as gardeners. We have to use water Carefully. wisely and we have to recommend that people use the water as wisely as possible. Otherwise, that probably will mean if everybody goes out and throws water billions of gallons lawns. of water where it's not needed or could actually make things worse in the garden, then yes, we may get hosepipe bans and that will be our own fault. And just a reminder of Jeff keeps saying, and if you've listened to Jeff's uh, comments on watering, if something is wilting or struggling, you run it very slowly hose against the plant so it trip, trickles trip, trickle, trickle, trip, trickle 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 and you do that listen for an to, hour or so listen to our podcast we've given a very thorough uh, uh, recommendations on, on how to water and what to water alan in thundersey hello alan yeah hi good morning gentlemen what are you trying um, to do yeah well this year i had um, a columbine coming come up between a crack between two paving stones so i oh, identified uh -huh. it from a wildlife flower book yeah i had um for about three or four weeks i had a very nice display of very pretty flowers it's gone to seed now and i've collected the seed when should those seeds be planted for next year should they plant them now um and they uh, would carry on or plant them next spring 
Um, <clears throat> so, uh, did you allow them to mature on the plant? Yes. So yes, they, they, yeah. they, 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 the seed pods opened right up before I took the seeds out. Okay. I, I personally, um, the thing about columbines is that they they, they self seed and <laughs> and, and almost become a weed in time if you allow them to self seed. Well, um, so, this was such a pretty uh, the, the uh, insects you, loved it. Uh, yeah, but you wait. So you you it wait. Was such a pretty flower. You wait till the garden uh, to put. Uh, the you seeds wait till in, in a pot and uh, and grow two or three plants side by side. Yeah, well, you wait. You wait till they self seed everywhere, and your garden's full of them. Then you. Well, won't. I don't mind that. <laughs> um, I've got I a would. Wildlife garden, anyway. <laughs> um, I, if you're going to if you're going to be growing them in a pot, um, I would probably sow some seeds straight away. I'd leave some and sow some in in March as well. Do do t- uh, twice uh, both times. I see. Okay. okay. Give it a go. Yes, I'll do that, yeah. Thank you very much. And you will have a colourful garden next year, we guarantee, don't we? Well, with columbines, yeah, they'll be be everywhere. It will be everywhere. And we're going back in the greenhouse, aren't we? Or are these outdoor tomatoes, Jean, from Chelmsford? They're outdoor tomatoes, Ken. Yep. And I'm just wondering how much water I should be giving them now, sort of thing. (laughs) I've never grown tomatoes through this sort of heat before. I I must just say it's quite fascinating, isn't it, that people never check it. And if you water water and then you scrape away a couple of inches of soil off the top, Mm -hmm. you can actually see how much has gone down, can't you, Jeff? Very easily. Yep. Jean, these are in a greenhouse, you say? No, outdoors. Oh, they're outdoors, sorry. They're outdoors and are they in containers or in the ground? They're, They're in the ground... And beside them, I put in a, a drinks bottle, so when I water it... it Excellent. Good. I was, gonna Good tell, I was going to tell you to do that. Right, the thing with tomatoes is that they need a regular supply of water. If you allow them to dry out and then you soak them and you allow them to dry out and you soak them, you will have two problems. The first one is that the fruit will crack and split open. And the second problem is you'll get something called blossom end rot when the bottom of the tomato fruit goes black. So the important thing is, is to keep a constant supply of water for as long as possible. Now, when you fill up your little plastic bottle, does it empty straight away or does it, does it take a, a long time for the water to go through? Fairly, empties fairly quickly. Fairly quickly. OK, I would water twice a day. Right. OK, so in the morning and in the evening. And mm. I would fill it up at least three times. Right, because at the moment I'm giving each plant about a, a canful, but okay. I haven't been doing it every day. Okay, well, as the fruit develops, and so therefore more water is needed, then you, yep. need to, you need to up it. If you're finding that your plants are growing strongly and healthily, then you're obviously watering enough, but just be aware that you might need to up it slightly as the fruit increases in both size and number. And uh, they are. And watering better... General watering is better done morning and night, but uh, preferring early morning, yes? Depending on how you do it, but if you read... If yeah, you that way to... you haven't got to worry, have you? No, no, because no. you're not, you're not watering right. over the foliage. And uh, we'll look forward to Jean sending us in a basket of tomatoes, I reckon. At least a you? basket. At least a basket. Nick from Hal Green. Hello, Nick. Oh, good morning, Jeff and Ken. Uh, for years I've raised um, geraniums from cuttings. Yep and potted them up into a peat-based multi-purpose in, um, fairly early in the year, and they've grown on very, very well. I've used the same compost for years. Um, it comes from a, uh, a well-known uh, shed, their okay. own brand. Okay. No problems. This year, nothing seemed to grow, and the ones that did make a bit of growth, and I eventually put out into tubs in the garden have romped away. They're growing in, in a different compost. But the ones that I normally would raise in the greenhouse to reasonable-sized plants just won't grow. And when I actually look at them, they have made a very poor root, root system. Okay. Now, is it possible? I've got a... I've over, over-watered them at some time and rotted the roots, or could I possibly have a, a duff compost? Well, um, I was going to say both. You could. <laughs> well, both could be possible. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, I mean, compost formulations, uh, depending on what's in them, changes, um, you know, from batch to batch, you know, particularly if they're using green compost, because green compost that the council supply varies from month to month because it depends on what we give them to put into their green compost so right. compost formulation is a is a huge art i mean there are literally scientists that spend all day working out how much percentage of this that and the other goes into the compost to make it work they sometimes do get it wrong and they sometimes do get problems what i would my first port of call would be to contact the person or the, the company that sold you the compost um, and obviously their head office, give them the batch number that should be on the bag of compost, hopefully if you've still got that, and they may be able to tell you if they had a problem with it. If the compost itself was fine, because they have changed, possibly changed the formulation slightly, that may affect how it works, in inverted commas, when you water and feed it. So that's, you know, it, it could be a, a number of things. But yes, it could be the problem with the compost. It could be a problem with you overwatering, but, And the two could be linked. But you need to go back to the manufacturer and ask. And generally, yeah. they're very helpful yeah, absolutely. indeed. There's one company yeah. I used to work with that whenever people said they had a problem with the compost, we just asked for the batch number and then we would check uh, with the compost uh, processing plant as to what happened. OK, Nick, so give it a try. Yeah. And can you, can you come... Could I just ask you, if you keep a comp buy a compost one year and keep it to the next... Don't. Never. Never. Never, ever do it. It's not worth the risk. It doesn't, doesn't be work be as because well, Because the, the fertiliser in there can go sour um, and cause root death, um, and also the whole composition of the compost can change. Uh, you Buy a compost, use it, and get rid of it. The BBC Essex Gardening Hour with Ken Crowther. This is BBC Essex. We'll be back to your calls, texts and emails shortly, but let's take a final look at the top tips Jeff has for us this week. OK, well, earlier you mentioned about deadheading roses. I did. And there are a couple of other early summer flowering shrubs that could do with a little bit of, well, actually, a lot of cutting back. Not, a, not just a haircut. No, no, no. Some actually butchering, some hard pruning. Uh, things like uh, Philadelphus, yep. um, Mock Orange and Wygela. So they've just about finished flowering for the summer, uh, certainly uh, during July. And the best way to treat those to get good flowering next year is all those shoots that have finished flowering, you take them right down to ground level or a, a low-growing side shoot. So it's quite dramatic, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, and it's literally all the shoots that have flowered. That then gives some more room for new shoots to be produced throughout the rest of the summer, which will excuse me, which will flower next year. And, of course, with the dry weather, it'll take some of the stress off the roots as well, having sort of reduced some of that growth. Uh, and, yes, give them a liquid feed afterwards so we that, into our uh, liquid feeds so the that moment, they can uh, encourage some fresh new growth. And, of course, the other thing that we prune at this time of year is our wisterias, the yeah, summer... Pruning of wisterias. Now, how many how many buds do you cut? Leaf axles do you cut? I those go down to? to five to seven leaf or leaves or leaflets from where they join the main framework of branches that you've created to cover your support. And I do three. Do you do three? Okay, mm. all right. See? It's like the roses. We all differ. Uh, and we all we are all different. <laughs> yeah, I, I I find the five and the seven. Uh, work just well. works well. Again, if you take it back to three, um, yeah. you'll reduce some more stress on the roots so that may be able to put new growth into flowers for next year. And it's about the right time. Now, mine's a sort of warning. Oh, dear. Now, the garden centres won't be pleased with what I'm saying. Oh, but dear. quite honestly, I would not buy shrubs mm, <laughs> at this no, time of year. No, me. You, you know, it's too dry. We can't look after them enough. And we couldn't even look after them Honestly, even if they're in a container and you put them by the back door in the shade nope. and keep watering them, yeah. let the garden centre look after them. We're going to be very unpopular saying this. Well, you? Maybe. maybe. Or maybe we're doing a service because what you should be thinking of is come the autumn. Then plant. The soil will be lovely and warm and the roots Hopefully will grow damp. away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or or it'll be, there'll be less stress on the plants yeah. and they'll get away a lot quicker. So, yeah, save your money. Save your pennies in a tin because, until the autumn. And there's nothing worse than seeing a shrub that you've bought deteriorating because you've brought it into your garden and then it's not successful. Well, let's think about it. Even plants that you may have planted this spring are suffering. So just imagine how they're going to suffer if you try planting them now. And, of course, with good old Essex clay, it's, you probably won't be able to dig a planting a hole. hole. 
<laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Let's get straight back to your gardening questions now. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Jeff Hodge and Ken Crowler answering your gardening questions. And just a quick one. How do I get rid of vine? It says vine weave, but I reckon it's vine weevil. Bill in Basildon. Right. Well, we could be here for the next half an hour. We could, could we? Because sometimes you need a belt and braces approach for vine weevil doing various things. So I'm, I, I've got to go through these questions and answers quickly. So I'm going to tell you the easiest way to get rid of vine weevil is go to my website. Because What's I've your got, website? Okay, well, you can either Google my name, that's Jeff, G-E-O-F-F, Hodge, H-O-D-G-E, or go to the website, which is www.gardenforumhorticulture.co.uk, click on the Vine Weevil page, and it lists all the methods that you may have to use to get rid of Vine Weevil. And I'm going to quickly, quickly come back on something else that we're talking about there. I know I've, I'm... Christine and John will come to you in just a moment, but uh, it says here, please tell people to spray aphids with washing up liquid mix, not insecticide as birds eat the aphids. We right. couldn't possibly recommend it. Washing using... up liquid is an illegal pesticide by the true letter of the law and the UK pesticide legislation. It is illegal for us to recommend it and also it, it, will, it, will, it will have the same effect as using an insecticide and uh, it's still I, it's still I, not good to eat. I, I, well, for a bird. The, the, well, the birds will, won't eat them anyway, whether they've been sprayed with an insecticide or well. if they've been sprayed with washing up liquid. But thank you for your comments, and, and what, we will pass them on. And washing up liquid can damage your plants. It can indeed, it can burn. Christine from Burnham, we're talking courgettes, aren't we? Hello there, Ken. Hi, Jeff. And just a quick, because I heard that lady ask about watering tomatoes. Yeah, yeah. Now, a friend of mine who uh, is no longer around, sadly, but he used to grow the most beautiful tomatoes outdoors. Mm. And he said to me, he said, you don't want to overwater tomatoes. Keep them quite dry, because if you overwater them, it encourages blight. Uh, that's certainly true if you water the leaves, but you do need to keep the compost or the soil that they are growing in evenly moist. But yeah, you don't want to water over the plants at all because that will encourage blight. Yes, and he used to keep his quite dry, but he had the most beautiful tomatoes, enormous tomato crop. Yum, yum, and that's yum. what he always used to say. But that's just, just a point about tomatoes. Uh, thank you. And, right, courgettes. I've got, some, I've got three courgette plants in a big, big pot. Compost, yep. and um, I've got a couple now that I think are ready to pick. But some of them, they grow to several centimeters long, and then they turn yellow and drop off. Is it because they're not getting pollinated? Uh, usually, it's because they are not getting enough water. Oh right, so I give them plenty of water, like in the morning and in the evening. I okay. give them a lot of water. Could be pollination as well, though, couldn't it, Jen? Could be pollination, but depends they, how big they are. Doesn't they it? don't. They don't actually need pollination to 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 produce to, to, to produce the courgettes. Um, when you water, are you watering over the plants or just the the? No, the... I take the rows off the can and I water. You know, just Shouldn't in the right. in just the on pot. The okay, yep. water in the um, evening only. Don't right. water, don't water twice twice a day, but give them a really good soaking so that the you know so that water just starts to dribble out of the bottom of the drainage holes. And do that every day, and it's getting water around the the crown of the plant that usually really causes that causes the, the the problems with courgettes and not having enough water. I hope that helps you, Christine. I just wanted to come back on this one because people keep coming up with these things that the best best root killer is old engine oil or <laughs> the contents of the chemical toilet. <laughs> Well, yeah, we wouldn't recommend either, would we? Well, <laughs> engine oil is a great way to kill your soil. Oh, it's uh, dreadful stuff to put anywhere near soil, isn't it? And yeah. that's for chemical toilets. They're not very good for the ground either. Oh, no, I won't say what they are. Well, no, we won't go there. Let's, uh, let's go to John in Colchester. We'll follow that one. Uh, John in Colchester, what's up with your runner beans? Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, yes, my runner beans, um, I've got St George and Moonlight. And St George have come out, sort of, the buds have come out, and are being eaten by something, but I can't make out what. We do have quite a few sparrows in the garden, and there are black fly on one or two stems, yep. and consequently lots of ants around, but uh, this is the second year it's happened to me. So you're actually getting the buds not opening, they, they're, they're basically being eaten away? Yes, that's right. They don't even, you know, the flowers don't even appear. Okay. You, you, I think you've probably hit the nail f well and truly firmly upon its head when you said sparrows. Yes. Sparrows, oh. birds, 
generally, but sparrows particularly do love um, flower buds generally, but runner beans particularly, usually because, uh, and they usually get them first thing in the morning because water tends to settle or moisture tends to settle in and around the buds. Um, and often they will peck at them to get the water or they'll peck at them if there are any aphids there and, and sparrows bless them often just do it to be difficult and playful and they won't <clears throat> they'll just do it to peck them off so i'm I reckon they do like my lettuce leaves and my uh, beetroot leaves as yes. well yeah, and last, last week that. we had people where the young spinach was being attacked by them by so sparrows, st yeah. sparrows are a bit <clears throat> of a pain and i think that's that's the answer isn't it yeah, I mean, the only thing you can do to try and stop them is, you know, hang, um, you know, I, I keep old CDs and I've got loads of spinning CDs that tend to put birds off attacking a, a lot of my things. Netting you could try, but obviously the issue with netting is yeah. that they could get tangled up in it. Um, runner beans, um, they've got black fly. How can I save my beans? This is Mike in Sheppey. Well, if you've got if you've got aphids on your runner beans, then you need to spray them with an insecticide. And, but it's a contact one on on a yeah, food crop yeah, like that would work yeah, quite well, wouldn't it? Yeah, any insecticide that is uh, approved for use on edible crops, not in hot sunlight. So no, see that you do, do it do, do, do in the in the evening again. Keep saying that, Maureen and Lee. Hello, Maureen. Oh, good morning. Um, I've got a cornus which is called hedgerow's gold. Yep. That's um, planted in the in the ground, yep. and it's showing signs of great distress due to the the heat, um, and it's all the leaves are going brown and it's very droopy. Um, I'm very loath to water plants that are established because of the waste of water. Do, do you think I ought to do that? Or <laughs> I can say if not, you might lose it, which yeah. will be even worse. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, <clears throat> Maureen, we totally agree. And on our podcast that we recorded this morning, we said when plants are fully established, you should never have to water them. However, yeah. this year you it, will. Is, it is difficult. And if you find All that right. your established plants are beginning to droop or beginning to yeah. wilt, then yeah. you will, you need to water them. Otherwise, they are going to die. And, so, and how should I water them? Very slowly with a hose? or Slowly, what? trickling hose. If it's a well-established one, then you might have to leave it on for, you know, eight hours or so with, oh. with it trickling yeah. around the root ball. You don't need to okay. be gushing gallons of water. You want that no. water to get right down into no. the soil and in and amongst the, the roots that are underneath the plant. OK, thank you. Uh, the other question I've got is a clematis, yep. Leo de Leon. Yeah. Um, I planted it very early last year and during the summer it just threw up one stem with um, nothing on it this year it's thrown up one stem again with just a few flowers at the very very top nothing on the way up okay it needs pruning so ah. and the time to do that is february march and you oh, right. and you will basically if it's that young still Next yeah. February, late February, early March, I would cut it down to about 15 inches, 18 inches yeah. from the ground. Oh, okay. okay. Yep, thank you. Thank you, Maureen. And we go to John in Brentwood. Hello, John. Morning, Ken and Jeff. Just, at what? least the roses like this weather. They do indeed. Most as long of them as do, yes. Most of them do, as long as they're getting <laughs> enough water. What can we do for you, John? Mare's tail. It's a bit of a mare, isn't it, mare's tail? Oh, is it? The bruising method... Rubbish! It's don't bother. Well, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. But bruising help. method doesn't work. It's a oh, some it's of a them, myth. It's a myth. Yes. Yes. I agree. Good. <laughs> and you get bits dropping off and starting new fresh. Yeah. Okay. So what's the, what's your question? Well, what's the best way to try and get rid of it? Okay. All right. Perseverance. So, uh, yes, you have to persevere because the roots can go down twenty, thirty feet. So you can imagine it will just keep coming back and back and back. I, yeah. when I moved into my current house sixteen years ago, I had it. I took two years to get rid of it, but I have now completely, well, more or less completely eradicated it. I sometimes get one or two stems coming up. I sprayed it with a glyphosate-based weed killer with one drop of washing up liquid into the into the spray. You have to use a fine spray. You have to allow it to grow up to about eight to 10 inches high because you need as much leaf area as possible. You have to spray in the evening to allow most of the chemical to be absorbed. However, if 16 years ago, Tumble, uh, sorry, not tumbleweed. <laughs> Roundup, Roundup gel tough had been available. That would have made my life so much easier. So you get a stiff piece of, of um, plastic, you put it behind the stems, and you smear the Roundup gel up the whole length of the stem. And because it's a gel, it will stick to there until it's totally absorbed. And that is now my 
to my mind, the way to get rid of it. I'm going to try and just do a few texts. And thank you, John, for your call. And, of course, we're here every Saturday morning after 11 o'clock. And don't forget you can the podcast. Which don't we forget can, the podcast. We'll be up in about an hour or so after the programme and you'll be able to pick up some extra tips on that. Hi, Ken and Jeff. I'm thinking of buying an oleander for patio. But uh, if the winter temps drop below five, could I store in a dark garage till temperature goes up above no. minus five? No. Roll. No. And the answer is no. no. You'd be better to protect it where it is outside as long as the temperatures don't drop too low. It's an evergreen, so it needs light. So you put it That's in a, I mean. you put it in a garage or shed and it won't like it. So if if you if you haven't got a conservatory or a warm greenhouse to put it in, what I would recommend is that you keep it outside. That's As you I mean. suggest, yeah, you up. fleece it. However, when the temperature drops below, well, just about freezing, you bring it into the house, into a cool room, and whenever the temperature goes above that, you take it back out. And you might have to bring it in and out, in and out, in and out, but that's what you have to do. Right, hi, Kev. Two peonies in pots. They're three years old. No flowers. Should I put them in the garden and should I feed them tomato food or something, Maggie in Hullbridge? OK, the, the likelihood is you planted them too deep and they that which affects their flowering, you have to plant them at exactly the same depth that they were growing in originally. So wait a bit, but certainly feed them. If you haven't fed them and they're in containers, you're a nasty person. <laughs> The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. And if you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme and take it with you wherever you go via our website, bbc.co.uk slash bbcessex. Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, why not give us a call on 0800 111 4041 and be part of the programme. Yes, that's every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther.